Welcome to the Marxist Think Tank podcast, an attempt to look at the world from a class-conscious perspective and to build. I always talk to them some, about some things like that. And one of the things I tell them is, expect the unexpected. But I also tell them they need to forget about whatever they think they learned about China back from wherever they came from. And they need to allow China to speak for itself. So yeah, I mean, we've discussed socialism, and yeah, you know, uh, firstly, you know, we all sort of, uh, what is socialism is a long discussion that many people have. But the Chinese Communist Party is in, in charge, and they call it, you know, Ch- Chinese uh, so socialism with Chinese characteristics. Mm-hmm. That's what we're living under now. Um, do you think that we're living in socialism right now? That we're in socialism? I think what we have is a process. You know, this is. This is a fascinating thing. In the United States, right, 244 years, we have a constitution. It's been there since uh, not quite 244 years. And when people comment, well, it doesn't look like this, the response is, it's aspirational. Mm. It takes time to build it. Mm Well, 244 years is much longer than 70 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if it's a socialist country, it's considered, no, that's not what it is. Mm-hmm. But if it's the United States, well, it's, in pro- it's a work in process, mm-hmm. progress. Mm-hmm. Okay, that somehow that concept is acceptable when you're talking about a capitalist country, mm-hmm. a bourgeois democracy. Mm-hmm. But that concept is not acceptable when you're talking about socialism. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think that's what we have to deal with. What did I say in the other song? It mm-hmm. takes time to build. It takes time to build. So, and part of what you have to deal with, and if we, if we start with an understanding of, if we go back to Marx, and we got Marx, and we got Lenin came along and said, well, you build a communist party, mm-hmm. and then once you have the communist party, then you can seize power. But obviously, socialism did not exist on day one. Mm-hmm. And you exist in a world. Where does socialism come in? Mm-hmm. Socialism is still a process of struggle. Mm-hmm. And we have eight, more than 800 million people in China who have been lifted out of poverty. Mm-hmm. And China is working through the Belt and Road uh, Initiative to assist other countries, anyone who wants to, uh, in a comradely way, to assist them in in development Mm -hmm. and so on. So is it social? Well, on the one hand, it is because it's the Communist Party in Mm -hmm. charge. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, you know, what are we talking about? We're talking about 
more people who have more power, mm -hmm. who have more money, who have more resources, mm -hmm. who have more food. Is it finished? No. As a process, though. It's a process. This is, this, is, this is socialism, but in the concept of socialism as a process. A comic, a process. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And again, I go back to the reference. You know, in, if we're talking about the United States, it's all, well, this is an aspirational idea, mm. right? So all of the things in the Bill of Rights really don't exist. They mm. exist for some people. And yet... Other people say, well, we don't need to get rid of the United States and we don't need to change the Constitution because we just haven't gotten there yet. And if we look and look at what happened, you know, we had a big civil war about 80 years after the country was created. And then black people supposedly got the right to vote, mm. right? But mm. then they still don't have it today mm. because right. of all exactly. kinds of other things. And then women. So you have these things that are stated as this is what the United States is, but it's not what the United States is. Right. Is it becoming? I don't know. It's taking a long time. It's taking longer than 70 longer than years. Longer years, right? right? <laughs> longer than 70 years. And that's what I have to look at. Yeah. Okay. okay? And I'm not, you know, and this is, you know, it's a... The country has 1.4 billion people. Right. You know, frankly, I'm quite confident that I wouldn't like to be running a country of 1.4 billion people. Yeah, it sounds like a stressful job. All right. <laughs> the other thing that occurs that's, you know, we can see a number of things. We can see the idea that, uh, you know, and there is the goal to continue to alleviate poverty and to deal with that to... Uh, uh, through positive relations with other countries. Mm. And what happens is the, uh, we talked, my other someone talked about, you know, science, scientific knowledge and scientific mm. socialism. Mm. So it's learning from the mistakes, learning from what you did. Exactly. All right. And through that, um, whereas some countries tend not to learn and repeat. That's what I'm talking about here. And yeah, I, I have this line here. It says, the privileges of some, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. who care not about the rest, right? right? So we have to constantly be reminded, reminded my song, to make its country people strong. We have to keep reminding. We have to, we have to uh, understand what it is, what are the principles, and then work to build those principles in reality. Mm -hmm. I guess we've touched on what these principles are. But particularly with this idea of the class consciousness, of the working class, of, yeah. of remembering that that is the, the focus of, of this project, this, uh -huh. this Marxist socialist project. Um, but, you know, we should mention this, we perhaps discuss it, is, you know, there was, with the Cultural Revolution, a very big effort to make uh, class consciousness, uh, the working class, uh, the centre of everything, a very big project in this country um, to do that. And... And what I find peculiar now is that when I speak to Chinese people, they're almost apolitical. They don't really have a comment on politics. And so your work, your songs are about emphasizing and creating a class consciousness or reminding people that that's the, the goal of this project. Um, but I, I wonder what you think about where all of that effort from the previous big attempt in the Cultural Revolution to create a, a very sort of a strong class consciousness uh, why did that disappear, and, and and how is class consciousness in China today? Yeah, um, it's one point four billion people, right? <laughs> <laughs> Making a generalization about where some what one point four billion people think 
is right. uh, very questionable. Sure. It's uh, a difficult question. Um, so, therefore, I can't answer. I can't right. answer, you know. Um, it's an interesting thing. No, let me stay away from that. But um, I don't know. It depends. You talk to people. And part of what happens is as you... As, as Chinese people see what's happening in the world and see what's happening in the United States, mm -hmm. I think there are more and more people who are um, turned off by what they see. They may not have the name for it, mm -hmm. but, but bourgeois capitalism mm -hmm. or bourgeois democracy. Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas previously they may have admired it. And part of that may have had to do with the fact of looking at material things. You know, mm -hmm. we have to start with an understanding. Karl Marx said the working class is materialist. Mm -hmm. All right. If we deal with, uh, you know, there was one of the, you know who the robber barons were? Robber barons were these monopolists at the end of the 19th century and beginning of the 20th century. And they controlled banking and mm -hmm. Rockefeller oil gotcha. and railroads tycoons. and famous names. Yeah, yeah. the tycoons. And one of them, it was a guy in shipping. His name was Jay Gould. And he said, I can hire one half of the working class to kill the other. Mm -hmm. Right? How? Well, if people are hungry, right, Going back to the organization that I had worked with in the United States, mm. okay, um, some people, what would occur is part of our program, our benefit program to help people to survive was the fact that you go out on strike. You're a worker, got a union, you go out on strike. Mm. Here's this person, has worker has nothing. Mm. Their boss offers them something, mm -hmm. job. They're hungry. Their family needs something. Right. They're going to take it. They'll take it. Yeah. Right. Perfectly logical. Mm -hmm. It's not because they're anti-labor. No, it's because they need it's to because eat. It's because they need to eat. Right. All right. They need to eat. This is what Jay Gould meant. I can fire these other people. I can hire these people as police. Mm -hmm. I can hire them to take your job and so on. Mm -hmm. So I think part of what needs to occur is that is that recognition of material that there are certain fundamental material needs, and those needs to be met, and as more need to be met, and as more people are now in a position where they have um, material wealth, where they have some basis of survival, yeah. then you can go on to dealing with other other necessities and mm -hmm. so on, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we're not in the uh, uh, we're not in the Spanish Civil War where, mm -hmm. where the anarchists are arguing for we need to turn everything into a collective. Mm. Well, maybe, but not when you're in the middle of a war. Right. We're still in the middle of a war, yeah. right? You saw the, the Newsweek cover, yes. Xi Jinping, right? And how Xi Jinping has a plot to subvert the United States election, right? right? This is part of what is missing, I think, is a concept that that class war is still going on. Right, that the cold, they called it the Cold War, but a lot of people died in the Cold War. And that's still going on. And now target number one, whether it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden, right? Target number one is China. Target number one. And that results, that necessitates 
China being in a position to be able to defend itself. And um, in a variety of different ways, mm -hmm. uh, ideologically, mm -hmm. militarily, mm -hmm. right? China, you know, the United States, if China adds $10 billion to its uh, military budget, the United States screams and, mm -hmm. you know, the U.S. budget is multiple times the Chinese military budget. So it's not doing it for offensive purposes. It's, it's like the Black Panther Party. Mm -hmm. Armed self-defense. Mm -hmm. All right, armed self-defense, not offensive. Mm -hmm. We just talked about the, the, the upliftment of poverty in the country. So uh, obviously this is coming particularly from the Deng Xiaoping sort of era, 19, yeah. 1979. And uh, obviously that's... The era that's gone by, you know, that started in 1978, and people are often referred to 2013 with Xi Jinping being a new era. Yeah. And, the, and his flagship policy is obviously the Silk Road. Yeah. The, the new, the One Belt, One Road initiative, the yeah. BRI, lots of different names for it. But um, what are your thoughts on that? Okay. Well, what you have is China. I have, a, I have a new book that will be published in a month or two, uh, December or January, and it currently doesn't have a title. I'm thinking of the title, Understanding China, with a lot of help from my friends. You know the reference to a little help from my friends? Yes, the Beatles. From the Beatles. Right, right, right. So I want to modify that, but I'm not sure. I have to deal with the publisher. <laughs> but that's what I'm thinking about. Because much of what I talk about is the conversations with this person and that person, both Chinese and foreigners. Mm. And I have a section on the Belt and Road, and I have a section on Africa. In there, and um, what happens? So the People's Republic of China was founded. Um, sometimes references are made to the 1980s and the reform and opening of China. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm a little uncomfortable by that concept mm -hmm. because China was always opened to France, right? We have people I, I sang about mm -hmm. uh, several years ago. I managed to go through some files of another one of those red dream chasers, uh, Israel Epstein. And I had a, a, was going through some of his files. And there were documents from uh, um, National Day in the 1970s with ambassadors, you know, statements of congratulations from... African countries, mm -hmm. from Eastern European countries, mm -hmm. right? China was open for France, from mm -hmm. the Soviet Union, mm -hmm. and so on. And there were, and it wasn't so much China being closed, just through the capitalist world closing mm -hmm. off China. All right? And uh, so when China was uh, uh, trying to get in the 1970s when China was admitted to the People's Repu the People's Republic was admitted to the Security Council of the United Nations, mm -hmm. right? Um, what happened? You had lots of 26 African countries supported China. Other countries did. Mm -hmm. All right? And China, and I, I was about a year and a half, oh, at this point it would have been two years, two years ago, I was at a... Um, um, Spring Festival New Year celebration at the Nigerian Embassy in mm -hmm. Beijing, mm -hmm. where I was asked, invited to come and sing. Mm -hmm. And there were representatives from 14 African embassies. Mm -hmm. uh, some were ambassadors, mm -hmm. some were uh, consulars, other staff people from the embassy. And one after another, people got up 
and talked about starting with the Nigerian ambassador, it was his embassy, starting with the historically close friendship between China and African countries. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and part of what's happening, and not just with Africa, but also closer countries, Kazakhstan, other places. Kazakhstan was where Xi Jinping introduced the Belt and Road in a speech there. But part of what occurred is for a long time, China had no friends, mm-hmm. right? No friends that had the ability to support it. And in order to survive, right, then friends were needed. So those African countries were friends. Mm. Central Asian countries were friends, mm. right? So, and so they, find, they got friends, and those friends helped China advance. Mm. And China now recognizes that its responsibility is to assist those friends, Right, and that this is this kind of relationship. Right, it's not sending your army. It's not one of the eight hundred military bases that the United States has. I don't know how many military bases they have in Africom. Right, the Africa Command. Right, and it's providing some assistance to help elevate. Right, the economic condition of peoples in other countries who, in fact, were held back by. The British Commonwealth were held back by, by uh, when they were French colonies, yeah. uh, who were held back by the United States instead of developing them. It goes back. The idea m- materially traces back to the economic theory that developed in the 15th century, all right, called mercantilism, all right, which drove the uh, creation of colonies. And the basic principle of colonies was the purpose of a colony is to serve the mother country. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what China is dealing with is we need a mutually beneficial relationship. Yes, yeah, good for us, mm-hmm. but it's going to be good for you too. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of, and China is prioritizing that because it's a difficult world and you need friends. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, and you need friends. You need friends. And I mean, a big part of this thing is infrastructure, right? And obviously, I mean, I don't think either of us have traveled enough to see uh, the particular projects that they manifest uh, as across the world. So whether it's the ports in Pakistan or uh, mm-hmm. the railway lines in, in, in Kenya. But there's one thing that I think you, you've probably seen firsthand is that I visited China first in 2008. Okay. On a high school trip, actually. Right. And um, there was no high-speed rail. It didn't exist. Yeah, uh, we didn't take the train because we we took a normal train. But yeah, I I thought about back to it. I thought, why didn't we take uh, the high speed rail? And I looked into it, and it didn't exist. Yeah. So you obviously came here in two thousand and five. Yeah. First, so you've seen the building of that infrastructure. Yeah. Um. So I mean, what's that been like? I mean, how is that? Um. I have some of my songs. I have several. You know, uh, there was um an American country singer named David Allen Coe. And he had a song that he recorded. And he talks about how this song was given to him by a friend who wrote it. And his friend talked about how this song was the perfect country song. Uh 
And he introduces the song by saying, I can't remember the friend's name, but he was, uh, oh, I forgot. But, and he says, my friend says, this is the perfect country scene, but this is, it's not. It doesn't have anything to do with getting drunk, prisons, <laughs> mama, mother, the dog, death, dead dog, trucks, pickup <laughs> trucks, or trains. trains okay. So I have three songs about trains. Okay. Well, let's the first one I wrote, was about a 24-hour train ride from southern Hubei to uh, Guangdong province uh -huh. at spring festival time. Uh -huh. uh, the most recent train song I wrote was about a high-speed train trip from another place in Hubei province to Beijing, which is much further. Uh -huh. And that's train trip, I think, maybe it was six, eight hours. Uh -huh. Maybe it was eight hours. Uh -huh. So... Dramatically different. I've been 29 provinces, I mentioned some many, many times. Mm -hmm. I've performed in 15 different provinces. I've lectured and I don't know how many. Mm -hmm. And um, at this point in time, if there is a high-speed train station where I'm going, and if the, if the train takes me less than five hours, then I don't want to fly. Yeah. I do not want to fly. It's much more comfortable. It's much more convenient. So it's changed that mm -hmm. very dramatically. Mm -hmm. Changed that significantly. Mm -hmm. um, and as I mentioned before, as I travel around the country and cities or in the countryside, right in villages, you see mm -hmm. here's this old farm, terrible farmhouse, mm -hmm. and here's the new house. Yeah. Right, the new house that was built right next door to it. Yeah. Right, well, and a lot of this was people who became migrant workers. Yeah. They went to the city. They worked for a while, and eventually, yeah, uh, eventually they had enough money, and they went back home. And in some cases, you know, they either returned to farming, or they set up little businesses, or mm -hmm. some kind of cottage industry back home, and they built a new house, and so on. So their lives have improved. It was difficult, but they're in a different position than sure, they were today. Sure, sure. And then the other aspects is there are now highways going to their places or right. trains going to their places. So just on that one, I mean, yeah, there's 800 million people left out of poverty in the last 30 years or so. I forgot the exact number. 40. But 40, years. Um, what's um, what's the, the, the most underdeveloped part of China you've seen or the sort of the poorest part of China you've seen? And also then just generally... Comparing the U.S. and poverty in the U.S. and poverty in China, how, how do they relate to each other? What do they look like in comparison to each other? Um, okay, in terms of the first question, I don't really know, but it's, you know, the countryside in a lot of places, particularly further west that you go. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't been all the way to the west, so I don't know about that. There's a number of provinces in the west that I haven't go, gone to. Okay. But I've been to lots of villages and so on, and, you know, where it's actually a fascinating thing. Because often you'll see great poverty, but you know what you don't see? Hunger. Mm. There's plenty of food. Plenty of food. I went to the Chinese countryside to spend spring festival there. For a month I talked with folks about the things of which they care. They give their lives to make China strong And will make it stronger yet But the struggles they still face ahead 
They ask you not forget They say Mao gave us our country And our food we owe to Dung And we're happy for 60 years of gain Since the freedom bells have rung We trust in the party To keep us on the road That will ease the burden of our lives a bright future to unfold They sang with pride those old red songs and taught me some to sing But the tune that they were singing had a familiar ring They worked real hard throughout their lives and they'll work forevermore It's a better life for their children that they are working for They say Mao gave us our country And our food we owe to dung And we're happy for 60 years of gain Since the freedom bells have rung We trust in the party To keep us on the road That will ease the burden of our lives future to unfold To be sure there's some impatience and some who do believe that a faster pace would greatly help the problems to relieve of the gap between the city and the countryside which is clear for all to see is standing open they say Mao gave us our country and our food we owe to dung And we're happy for 60 years of gain since the freedom bells have rung We trust in the party to keep us on the road That will ease the burden of our lives, a bright future Trust in the party to keep us on the road That will ease the burden of our lives A bright future to unfold I didn't make that line up, mm-hmm. right? Mao gave us our country and our food we had I didn't make that up. Who made that up? I, I was told this. Told that by, by one of the I comments. was told this. By someone in the country. Yeah. I like that. Mao gave us our country and, our food and we owe food to dumb. to dumb. That's very good. And then in the party, and these are, some were party members and some weren't party members. And they said, and the party is going to help. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever I've been there, I've always seen massive quantities of food. Yeah. People aren't, people are eating. Mm-hmm. Now maybe their house, maybe they don't have a new house yet, or maybe there's a lot of other problems, but at least. There's food. Right. And right now in the United States, we're talking about food. But last year, we were already dealing with the fact that there were a significant percentage of people who were food insecure, right? including children. This is before COVID-19. And now it's even worse, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so what's that? in the countryside in the United States, it's different because here there's hope. 
<laughs> and even before COVID-19, it wasn't hope. It's blaming China. Mm-hmm. Blaming China for trade problems. Now it's blaming China for COVID-19 mm-hmm. rather than saying we have a problem. Mm-hmm. Right? And part of what happens in China, China is critical of the United States dealing with stuff, but they don't blame the United States for not moving faster. Mm-hmm. They say we've got to do things, the things we need to do. And then they spend more money on education mm-hmm. and open up more. My university had several, had built a new campus. They had Unfortunately, it's not yet open because COVID-19 slowed it down. Mm. But we had a couple of thousand more students were admitted mm. All right, that weren't able to get into college before. There's educations going on, more schools, improvements of schools, more opportunities for that. There's a song you have called The Red Cause. Yeah. I would I hear that. I read the lyrics to that one. Okay. I'm quite excited by that one. Yeah, this is. I was making a few changes on modifications. Karl Marx explained his vision of how the world would grow. He was no fortune teller, but he certainly didn't know. The workers for the Red Cross cause would come to organize when they understood that they were fighting for their lives. In Russia, be I Lenin, read Marx's views. He built the first real workers' party and went out to spread the news. He said if followed carefully, his method could not fail. And when the truth was to be found, the red cause did prevail. When Lenin died, a man of steel picked up B.I.'s load. His name was Joseph Stalin, and he faced a rocky road. The enemies of the working class Within and outside the realm Could not defeat the Red Cause With J.B. at its helm In China there was Mao Zhushi Who to victory led the Red Cause He said go to the countryside Which did not win applause But he learned from those who came before a dialectical view. And he overcame the Japanese and Jungjishi too. Let's turn our attention west and look at the new world. The Cuban leader called Fidel saw the workers' flag unfurled. Fidel never backed down a step when facing the USA. Aided in the Red Cross, it lands near and far away. Back in Asia, South China is a country called Vietnam. Against the French and Japanese, Ho Chi Minh did lead the land. He stood firm for the Red Cause when the USA came 
And since the Vietnamese won, Uncle Sam's not been the same. Since then we've faced some setbacks for the old red cause. Some battles we have lost, but no time to take a pause. The struggle must continue on till victory is on our side. And everyone around the world will salute the Red Cause with pride. Karl Marx explained his vision of how the world would grow. He was no fortune teller, but he certainly did know. The workers for the Red Cause would come to organize when they That's a great one. I That's, like that. I don't think there's, any, there's not many songs like that. No. <laughs> it's, this is a little bit of history and international, especially. But I haven't, I've been trying to figure out how I can get Korea in there, but I, I haven't mm. gotten that mm -hmm. in. Three of the songs, one, two, three, four of the songs that I've written are about terrible situations. I wrote one of them about the earthquake in Sichuan province, Wenchuan, in 2008. <coughs> and I wrote another one. There was a terrible winter in 2008. And people stuck for days and weeks mm. in train stations on the highway and stuff. And then I wrote another one about southern China and annual flooding. And all of them had a common theme. The theme was, this bad thing happened, and then everyone worked together to deal with it, right? The government, people, the army, everybody together, right? And a lot of times in the U.S., what happens, I've been through, you know, when I was organizing, I often had to deal with disaster relief after an earthquake, some <laughs> other thing. And for many people, life, daily life was just a disaster, but frequently what would happen is the first thing that occurs is blame. Who's to blame for this? While people are suffering. And our position was always, the no, first thing you got to do is suffering. And then you figure out. Right. Somebody is responsible. That's mm. okay. You got to fix that. You got to deal with that. But first thing is people are suffering. You got to resolve that. First, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's the common thing. So in 2020... We were struck with the coronavirus, COVID-19. Right. And I was stuck in my apartment. I could go out to the market, and that was it. Every couple of days, I'd go to the market. And other than that, I was stuck in my apartment. Mm. So I would, um, I realized early on, I was going to have to write a song. Mm. But I wasn't ready for it because I needed to, I needed, the response to the situation was very important because the, my song is not about the problem. My song is about how people acted in the face of this problem. Mm. So I had to wait and I would read uh, news online. I was, um, 
but this is before I started teaching again in the Spring Festival, and I maintained contact through, mostly through WeChat, with lots of people all over China, students, other friends, colleagues, um, as well as some outside of China in about a half a dozen different countries. Mm. And then finally one day, I'm walking to the supermarket, and I said, words started coming into my head and said, okay, now I'm ready. Mm. And I went home and I wrote down what I had. And then I sat down for the rest of the day and I finished the lyrics. Mm. And then after that, I pulled out my guitar and it took a couple of days to figure out what to do. And once I did that, I started sending it around and posting it. And the interesting thing that happened was I suddenly had this great rush of media inquiries. Oh, can we interview you? Can we interview mm, you? So mm. I did some were just telephone interviews. Some of them were uh, through the computer video interviews. So probably in the course of the next several months, there were probably about 10. Mm -hmm. A couple of outlets did it more than one at once. But um, anyway, so I want to play that song. Sure. It's called Together We Must Take a Stand. We thought that everything was so fine But we didn't know the troubles we'd soon face Coronavirus came around No quick solutions could be found Health workers treated patients case by case And Hubei province was shut down Every city and every town People sacrificed to stop the illness flow The novel virus still did spread And left so many people dead Until the growth in China did finally slow But soon the virus did appear In many places far and near WHO praised China's fight through and through but some countries did not know what they should do. Fear and hatred spread so fast, we all hope it doesn't last. Panicking will do no good, but common effort surely would. Coronavirus we will defeat, around the world it must be beat. So here and there, in every land, together we must take a stand. Fear and hatred sped so fast, we all hope it doesn't last. Panicking will do no good but common effort. Surely would coronavirus we will defeat Around the world it must be beat Though here and there, in every land Together we will take a stand How did you think things were dealt with here? How did you feel? 
um, being in China during the virus? Very safe. All right. Not being able to go out was a nuisance, mm -hmm. right? But there are lots of worse things that I've experienced before mm -hmm. and that other people have experienced before. Mm -hmm. And I think part of what happens here is this, together we must take a stand. That's the important line there. Mm -hmm. And it's part of what occurred in China as opposed to many countries is that people have a, an understanding of collective responsibility, right? That maybe it's not me, but maybe it's you who's going to get sick. Mm. And uh, I have a responsibility to help you not get sick. And you have a mutual responsibility to help me from getting sick. Right, right. And this is clearly something that I can't say completely lacking, but many people in my own country, the United States, don't have that understanding. And from what I understand, many people in a number of other countries don't have that understanding. Doesn't necessarily mean everybody was happy with it, mm -hmm. but um, the ability to stay healthy is fine. Mm -hmm. I think there's a tremendous amount, not just President Trump and his China his uh, Kung flu or China virus, right, right, right. but even before in terms of the identification and part of what China was doing is trying to, before China starts spreading information about we have this terrible problem, right? They sought to do some investigation. So they understood exactly what they had to tell people. Otherwise you start dealing with uh, the world has enough rumors mm. and mm. enough scare information going on. So mm. some people complained about, criticism of certain doctors but you know mm. within a very short period of time the news was gotten out once it was understood as to what was that, um, what was going on on the mutual uh, responsibility that you see here or saw here during the coronavirus um do you think that's uh, a confucian a chinese or is that a socialist thing where, where does that sort of come from uh, i think it's a combination of both of those so mm -hmm. on the one hand it's con confucian on the other hand it most definitely is uh, a basic premise of socialism. Mm -hmm. All right, and I think the combination of those two makes it very strong. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the the spirit of Cuban doctors going yes. around the world, or ch subsequently Chinese doctors mm -hmm. going. All right, that uh, we're in this together, and we have to fight it together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think just echoing what you're saying there, the biggest thing I think you can see for that one is masks. When we had the virus here, masks were... Yeah, we were and in some places, them. people were, no, you're not leaving that your house. Right. You know, you stay there. We're going to bring you food. Yeah. Right? So, and so. so on. So the masks are still, you know, even though in Beijing, masks mm -hmm. are no longer mandatory, mm -hmm. you see people wearing masks all, all the time. Not everybody. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but uh, it's not an uncommon thing to mm -hmm. see it. And many people are still concerned and want to just in case, want to make sure that they're not responsible for this. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. I think most people have heard enough about coronavirus for this year, but yes, there's a touch well, of that for us. That's good. Some places, they're going to keep hearing about it. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen here, but it's... Uh, um, there are more and more things, you know, a friend went to a movie last night. Well, it was in a movie theater. Mm -hmm. uh, in um, December, there is an enormous English, university-wide English public speaking contest, mm -hmm. a national competition. There'll be 500 people at this competition in some hotel in, in Beijing. Mm -hmm. 
right? And there'll be precautions, and people will have to deal with, um, they'll have to deal with, um, you know, temperatures being taken. They'll have to deal with masks whenever they're inside and so on, and various other precautions will be taken. But the whole idea is, all right, we're consciously uh, loosening things up, Mm -hmm. but loosening things up doesn't mean abandoning caution. And it certainly doesn't mean that you are being imprisoned or your freedom is denied if you have to put a mask on. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. What's the uh, what's our next song? Ah, next song. We all know the old Silk Road from so many stories we've been told of people and things across that road animals carrying a heavy load in ancient times it was so slow though it was the fastest way to go as the people from so many lands crossed upon the desert sand but the new silk road of today can carry things many different ways Traveling by sea and rail The new road's mission cannot fail The Belt and Road can help achieve Peace that few ever did believe Could be gained within our time To help the world reach its prime We all know of the old Silk Road From many stories that Okay, so the idea there is that in this peace, I can help achieve peace, mm-hmm. right? That when, uh, you know, obviously it happens in any particular, whether it's within a country or between countries, when one country lacks resources mm-hmm. and another country has them, mm-hmm. then what happens? You ultimately end up with some kind of conflict. But through China's efforts to help improve the basic conditions not only of itself and people here but also of people in other countries to take what China has been able to achieve and assist others mm. well then that materially owns the ability to create peace mm. and to do it in a cooperative way rather than I was recently listening to some interview different than mm. what I had talked about mm-hmm. and it was a um, a historian, political scientist, American mm-hmm. professor. And what he was talking about was he was dealing with empires. Mm-hmm. And he said empires don't like competition, even if it's not intended as competition. They don't want somebody else stronger. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as China develops and grows, we have the United States who isn't interested. And rather, and China's position is we need to work together. Mm-hmm. We need to share this. We need to take uh, for mutual benefit and work in a cooperative way. Mm. Okay, so that's part of what that line has to do with. Let's see. Oh, didn't do this one. Don't forget the migrant worker. Yeah. Okay. All right.
travel to the cities far away from their home. They leave behind their families while in search of work they roam. They come to build a better life for their country and family too. They work hard to help their country grow, but the gains for them are few. Don't forget the migrant workers, don't leave them behind. Their work brings comfort for you and me, don't put them out of mind. The country's greatest asset is the labor that they own. But what they get for their sweat and toil is a life that's all alone. The founders of this country recognize the workers' strength. To liberate them from slavery, they would go to any length. The nation's victory in 49 set the workers free. Today, those who build the country strong need help, not sympathy. Don't forget the migrant workers, don't leave them behind. Workmen crud, well, their work brings comfort for you and me, don't put them out of mind. The country's greatest asset is the labor that they own. What they get for the sweat and toil is a life that's all alone. Many laws to aid these workers have gone into effect. To those who do the hardest work they are aimed to protect. All must ensure they are enforced to the letter of the law. And those who do the workers harm will be the true outlaw. Don't forget the migrant workers, don't leave them behind. Their work brings comfort for you and me, don't put them out of mind. The country's greatest asset is the labor that they own. What they get for their bread and toil, sweat and toil, is a life that's all alone. The migrant worker, yeah. So this is quite a quite a big concept in in uh, political writing. The difference between the countryside and, and the city. Yeah. And. Uh, Migrant workers are a big part of, of, of China, of Chinese cities. You see them. I mean, I've seen them. You see them uh, lining sure. up lining up at various subway stations and whatnot. So, Subways. Where, where, so where have, you seen, where, where have you seen the migrant worker? What, what was the inspiration for this song? Was it just after you saw some of them or what? I was traveling around and seeing on the one hand, you know, uh, whether it's the Huayan, great progress of the future, mm -hmm. but recognizing who's doing this, mm -hmm. right? That there are workers there and where they come from. Mm -hmm. They're not local people. They've left their family and they're there for some period of time. Mm -hmm. And they're working. And again, remember, I was a labor organizer. Mm -hmm. Okay? And many of our, many of the people I worked with are migrant workers. Are you, so this song uh, applies to the U.S. too? Uh, yeah, except the laws. From, to protect migrants, right, right, aren't very good. Right, right, right. All right. So, uh, but that was part of the background, and it's like mm -hmm. my song. I don't have the lyrics here, but my song about the earthquake. Mm -hmm. I've lived through earthquakes. Mm -hmm. I knew what it was like, and mm -hmm. then so some of these are based on, you know, concepts that I have, and it's just putting them into the current mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. situation and current place. Let me. Talk. So I'll ask them because also. With migrant workers, people having to, uh, you know, go and find work and then having to bust themselves into a city or wherever they are, finding that work. Um, there's obviously the, the, the hukou system. 
yeah. uh, the, the regist registration or residency permit system in China, which I think most, a lot many people don't know much about this uh, in, elsewhere around the world. Um, if you don't mind explaining that, if you know about it. Okay, um, let's look at it differently. In sure. the United States, so I attended a university as an undergraduate called California State University at Los Angeles. And California State University of Los Angeles was one of, at this point it's probably 25 campuses. And if you are a resident of the state of California, then your tuition is cheaper. It used to be that you were guaranteed admission on the campus, but now you're not anymore because they get more money from out-of-state and foreign students, so they changed that. So if you are a resident, now in the United States, residency is much easier to change. You go somewhere, you get a you know, you get a driver's license, you, you have utility bills mm -hmm. sent to your residence, you pay tax, so on. And so someone can go and become a resident, not immediately, mm -hmm. but much quicker. Don't know the exact amount of time that's required. So in China, the residency system is referred to as a hukou system. And it's much more difficult, mm -hmm. much more difficult for somebody to change hukou. Right? I work at a university, government university. Somebody gets a job at my university, they can get a Beijing hukou. Right? Someone gets a job in working for the CCTV, China Central Television Agency, they can change their hukou. Students change their hukou while they are a student, and they can do various things. Mm -hmm. So uh, just like in the United States, you get a cheaper university education, mm -hmm. and there may be other things. In China, there are certain things that are much more difficult. Mm -hmm. You can't buy a house in Beijing if you don't have a Beijing hukou. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, and things about children's education and so on. There are some special schools set up for the children of migrant workers and so on. So it's essentially a residency system. But you have to understand, I, I you know, there's already within the greater Beijing area, there's already 20 million people here. Mm -hmm. And part of what happens is more people want to come, and it just increases the demand and so on, makes everything. Yeah, school so services. And it's many, uh, in some places, I've been reading reports where it's e becoming easier for people to change their hukou. Mm -hmm. It's becoming much easier. I'm not sure if it's Shanghai, but some relatively big cities mm. where they're making changes. And I anticipate that other changes will be made here. And a lot of things are interim, right? Until, because what you have is Beijing is trying to build in an orderly way. If we look at, you know, if you look at European cities, suddenly you had masses of peasants coming into the city mm -hmm. and the city wasn't prepared for them. And what happens? Slums. Yeah, okay. Slums. So part of what's going on and build, Beijing is building you know, extending Beijing to to Tianjin, to Hebei province. There, uh, what used to be rural areas, north and south of Beijing, and as the ability to provide housing, the ability to provide education, the ability to ensure people are going to survive, then the ability to absorb more people yeah. into the population. But it cannot just be, I want to go to the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And live there. So, so it's, it's a measure to, to stop a huge influx of people 
to form a slum yeah. uh, and to make sure that there's schools and the facilities, yeah. the infrastructure for, for people who right. do arrive. Okay. I mean, that's something that I, I have, I've also not noticed is that you don't have slums or townships or huge cities. No, if you go into some of the uh, areas uh, just outside of the Beijing urban area, mm-hmm. you'll see small villages, mm-hmm. and some of them are not particularly nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's, yeah, it's not quite what you might be used, used to in mm-hmm. terms of uh, uh, the pictures that I've seen of townships mm-hmm. and so on mm-hmm. in South Africa. Mm-hmm. All right. So Mao Zedong came from um, um, Hunan province, an area called Shaoshan. And one of the things that I've done is I've taken some of his poems, two poems, two poems that were translated into English, not by me, but I got I found translations. So in 1959, Mao Zedong went back to his hometown, his first visit back. I cursed the bygone days, which dim as dreams appeared. Thirty-two years when I left my homeland Red flags aroused the peasants To take up the spear A local tyrant's brandished high The whip in hand More minds grow stronger For the martyr's sacrifice Daring to mold the sun and moon To new skies Here and there, heroes come home, dusk as smoke rises. Arise. 
Anyway, so yeah, the, I didn't do the lyrics. I like this. Uh, daring to move the sun and moon to new skies. I like that. Whoa. Very, 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 very Whoa. Uh, yeah, powerful. That's thing. a great one. <laughs> but anyway, so I figured out the melody. Good. You, you were at the medic. You got this. So yeah. Some of that. So half, half of that is the poem. The two poems? Uh, all the lyrics. All the lyrics. All the lyrics of the poem. First I sang it in English, then I sang it in Chinese, right, right. then I sang it in English. That's beautiful. Okay, so this one is called Chung Jung. Chung Jung. The Long March. The Long March. Okay. Right. And this is from 1935. Of the trying Long March, the Red Army makes light. Are barriers slight. Five serpentine ridges outspread like rippling rills. The pompous Wumong peaks towers but like molehills. Against warm cloudy cliffs beat waves of golden sands. With cold iron chain bridge, river Dadu was spanned. Against one cloudy hill, beat waves of golden sand. With cold iron chain bridge, river Dadu is spanned. Glad to see the mid range snow clad for miles and miles. Our warriors who crossed it break into broad smiles. Our warriors who cross it break into broad smiles. What's the last line there? Our warriors who crossed it break into broad smiles. Yeah. So, right, so this is uh, five serpentine ridges, uh-huh. pomp at Wumung Peaks Mountain, uh-huh. and then are uh, like molehills, uh-huh. right? They're conquering them like they're nothing. Uh-huh. Right, called Iron Chain Bridge. The, there's this river, Dadu River, and they, the, they have an iron bridge, chain, iron chain, and they cross uh-huh. that. The Min Range, uh, mount, another mountain range. What well, is there anything particular that, in terms of the last fifteen years in China that uh, one lesson or sort of one thing you'd like to share and one leaving sort of thought that you'd like to share with everyone? Okay, um, what happens is at, at my university, if we have a new teacher come, particularly someone who's not familiar with China. Mm. I try to uh, get in touch with them before we start the semester. And I tell them some about my school. Mm. And if they don't have any experience in China, then I always talk to them about some things like that. And one of the things I tell them is, expect the unexpected. Um, But I also tell them they need to forget about whatever they think they learned about China back from wherever they came from. And they need to 
allow China to speak for itself, mm. right? So in uh, my first book, which was called Stories from a Chinese Journey, and my new book, um, a lot of my writing is about conversations that I had with people, dialogue, mm. all right? Both, uh, much of it with Chinese people mm. and a lot of it with foreigners, where instead of me interpreting Right, I'm allowing people to speak from their background, their experience, and their perspective. And that it's a much more effective way to learn. And frankly, you will get more out of it and you will enjoy it more. And if you don't do that, if you hold on to whatever these preconceived ideas are, uh, which with very few exceptions are quite negative mm. because of propaganda outside of China, then you're going to have a miserable time. And you won't learn anything because you'll think you know everything already. That's, that's, that's a great message. I couldn't agree with that anymore. Good. Let, let expect the unexpected and let, speak, let China speak for itself. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mark, for coming here. My pleasure. For showing us your songs. My pleasure. pleasure. We've got lots of stuff to listen to. And, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Dream chaser. And that is it for this episode of the Marxist Think Tank. Catch us every other week here on SoundCloud. To allow us for our reporting and our content to remain independent, please consider donating to our Patreon and becoming a voting member in the link down below in the description. If you have a news tip or would like to talk to us, please email admin at marxistthinktank.org. Our editor is Sean Sanchez. News writer and producer is Reggie Truman, and I'm Oscar Bastille. Thank you for listening.